to the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing's podcast, The Wellbeing Connector, where through our guests, we explore ideas for making healthcare a better place to work and serve. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Rocio Hurtado to the show. Since 2003, Dr. Hurtado has worked as an infectious disease physician at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston with a wide-ranging practice spanning clinical care, medical education, and international health. She is also committed to physician and clinician development. Rocio is an executive and wellness coach, both internally at her institution and also externally at MD Catalyst. She has a particular interest in helping busy physicians learn how to redesign their careers as well as better negotiate for what they want. Rocio is also the mother of twins, has lived in several countries, and is a true believer in the healing power of nature and our shared humanity. Before I begin, I would like to remind our listeners about the Coalition's annual conference, where we convene thought leaders to discuss ideas for reducing burnout and returning joy to the practice of medicine. This year, Our 2021 conference will be July 28th through 30th, and it'll be virtual. The Coalition is here for physician well-being, and you can learn more about us and this conference at our website, www.forphysicianwellbeing.org. So let's get back to our guest, Dr. Rocio Hurtado. Well, thank you, Rocio, for joining us today. Thank you, Michael, for this kind invitation. So I I know how um, it must have been quite a busy year for you as an infectious disease doctor, and then with all the uh, teaching you're doing and all the other activities and home life you're doing, I wanted to ask you, how did you get into uh, becoming uh, a coach to physicians? Um, yes. So I have to say I've been uh, very, very fortunate and grateful to have been in the field of infectious disease now for a little over 20 years and, um, you know, have been very, have found a lot of meaning in this path, have been very uh, fortunate to also uh, work overseas throughout that time and have a bit busy clinical practice. Um, but I think um, a few years after the arrival of my uh, twins uh, in I'm an older mother, um, uh, was a particularly stressful time in my life uh, and um, sort of really brought to the forefront the many demands that um, physicians can face during different developmental stages in their career. I had suffered earlier on from a lot of imposter syndrome and um, and and was close to burning out um, in the context of, you know, long ICU stays for my twins, et cetera. And I think that was, um, you know, a, a very important recognition that, um, trying to sort of build a support framework uh, for physicians, especially those who are still in in the practice of of medicine and are being pulled in many directions um, is necessary. And so that's one of the one of the big reasons why I decided um, and had always been interested in issues around women in medicine and equity and um, uh, faculty development and that sort of thing that I decided, well, perhaps this is a, a time to actually pursue this in a little bit more depth. So how did you plunge in then once you knew you had an interest? How did you uh, begin? 
Yeah, so one of the first steps um, that um, uh, there were a couple of things. One of the first steps was uh, pursuing additional training um, in executive coaching. And in fact, that's uh, one of the ways that I met you, Michael, several years ago. Sure. Um, I also um, attended um, a, a long program from the the Mind Body Henry Benson Institute and my institution uh, in Boston, which was very, very helpful with regards to stress, resilience, mindfulness, meditation. And then more recently in the last couple of years, um, one of the very exciting developments here in uh, our institution was the recognition that in fact we needed uh, for our workforce a uh, better system to support our workforce in the uh, the MGH uh, Mass General Center for Physician Wellbeing was created. And as part of that initiative, um, the hospital, the Department of Medicine in particular, um, decided to train um, a group of physicians from within the Department of Medicine to become wellness coaches. And so I thought that even though I had been in the executive coaching field, that that might be a good marriage that might uh, might add an additional dimension. Um, and so um, that was another part of this journey. And then more recently in the last year, um, through um, several seminars and, and other trainings, became uh, particularly interested in um, uh, gaining a few additional tools more in the negotiation space, um, and obtained additional training in that in that as well, which I have found particularly interested interesting in in regards to how can we help. Um, uh, clinicians who, you know, may want to redesign or may want to advocate for themselves or others for changes within their own uh, career, uh, and many of which end up having very meaningful impacts. So that's in a nutshell, I would say how I arrived. But I will, I will, my disclaimer is that I'm still primarily a practicing um, physician. And so this is while it is nested within my work, and I do have an external um, coaching practice that I am very much in the trenches. Um, and um, I think that's, you know, it, it, it helps me sort of remain grounded with what's really happening on the ground and what are some of the stressors that we're all facing. And certainly this pandemic was incredibly busy as an infectious disease physician, as many individuals in medicine, not just infectious disease, of course, all of us have been stressed in many different ways and pulled in many different directions. So I am, um, you know, I'm part of that collective experience and, and I'm very grateful for all of you who are listening who have, uh, you know, all stepped up to 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 make make this a, a more manageable situation where there was, you know, at least in the beginning, very little, very little in our own control. So you have your busy clinical practice, you have the uh, internal coaching, and you're also starting to do some external coaching. Tell me a little bit about the internal coaching. What's a, what's a typical engagement like? And maybe if you can describe maybe a, a success story of how you worked with someone, just give me a better idea of what you do. Yes. So um, the uh, the Department of Medicine and our institution uh, had launched this internal coaching program. And so it's not mandatory. People um, from uh, physicians from our from our department um, can request a coach. It's typically uh, six sessions and it's really focused on an area that um, the physician himself or herself would like to focus on. And so this has ranged uh, from, you know, shorter engagements around 
round in um, negotiation and uh, interviews or high stake conversations to sort of more of a career redesign or trying to expand or compress in some cases um, one's jobs de- job description to also navigating um, trying to achieve a little bit more integration in the work and life arena. And so um, those, I would say, are some of the themes. I mean, they're percolating through that in the past year. Of course, there's been pandemic-related stress. There have been a lot of themes around you know, equity and the, and the, uh, all of the things that have been happening in our, in our national discourse. And, and, um, and, and yeah, so it's been quite varied, I have to say, which has uh, been very rewarding to really um, see the gamut of, of experience. So how does it work then? Someone gets referred to you, they have a particular issue and you set up these uh, six or seven sessions by phone or video or yeah. what, what do you do? Yeah, it is. They get referred and then we basically set up most people like to have the face to the not face to face in the pandemic sense, but um, through video conferencing and on occasion phone. And yes, we we go through. I mean, we have as part of our the original program was originally geared towards trainees and that that's been a longer standing program. And so there are a fair bit of materials that we can draw draw from as well, but we're not limited to these. Um, and in recent years, it's expanded to faculty. And so I actually have both trainees and faculty who are, um, who are coaches and from our, if, from within the, the internal program. Yeah. People of um, uh, physicians are interviewing for new posts or want to access a new administrative position um, and need some preparation around sort of a more focal related thing that can, in fact, open up doors and have significant impact. Um, and so those have also been very rewarding. Those are a little bit more circumscribed or perhaps, you know, I've had um, individuals who have decided to have a career change and, and train and go into a fellowship after having been in um, in a sort of more general field. And how did they how did they approach that process? What are the steps required to prepare? I mean, a lot of times these are life shifts. Right. One didn't go in thinking that they might eventually pursue that. And, um, you know, that generates a lot of anxiety, but also a lot of excitement. And so helping helping um, that navigation and that process has also been very rewarding. So um, what you described is people really adjusting their job in the coaching realm. I've heard it referred to as job crafting. And there are some physicians who I've spoken to, uh, at least initially, who feel that their degrees of freedom are not really that wide because the organization has a lot that needs to be done. There's more pressure for productivity and things of that na- nature, and they don't really have the ability to uh, uh, manage their time as much as uh, some might ho- uh, expect they can do for themselves. What would you say to that? Yeah, that's always a very common um, and important um, point to raise, that there are some limits uh, in you know, some structurally imposed limits that are hard to really, um, you know, expand. Uh, there are ways to get around that, so to speak. Um, and so um, some physicians uh, s- start to expand some of their administrative roles or protected 
uh, time away from clinical medicine or decide uh, if they have additional skills to delve into others to sort of circumvent some of those. But that that's not a, a pathway that's open to everybody uh, nor to everyone. And it really is um, really does depend uh, a little bit on the uh, context and the environment. So I would agree. I mean, unfortunately, there are a lot of structural problems that uh, transcend the individual so to speak. I, my, my hope is that more institutions will start to recognize uh, that, unfortunately, some of these RVU-based models can be a little bit soul-crushing at times uh, and be very difficult. And as complexity and complexity broadly defined continues to, to expand, that uh, you know, there's there's certain circum there are many circumstances in medicine where you cannot do someone justice in 15 or 20 minutes. There's certain crucial conversations, uh, crucial situations that that just cannot be accomplished. And I think that is a, a wider discussion, Michael, and one that needs to be had because uh, you know I would be remiss if I said, oh, all you need is coaching because that's you know that's I think anybody will realize that it is. Uh, that's one one part of the puzzle, but there's certainly many other elements to the puzzle that are uh, important and need to be addressed. Well, another thing is also your uh, training and negotiation, I think, helps uh, address some of the issues as well, because a lot of what the clinicians ask for is actually in the organization's best interest as well. And how do you help the organization recognize that what um, they're maybe asking of you might be a little bit short-sighted? Is that something you've run into? Yes, I think one of the things that I really like about um, having some additional uh, training and negotiation is having a framework as to how to approach things, right? I think that's where the curiosity, creativity, and also trying to use objective criteria to advance, um, you know, the, 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 not only the need, but to justify um, expanding roles um, has been extraordinarily helpful. Um certainly from an individual level um, to also from the organizational side. Uh, if you have metrics that show that X proportion of your, of your um, force of your working force is, you know, for instance, there's all these sort of well-being index indices and, and burnout are suffering from this. And then when you sort of parse it out, you know, there's undue administrative burden, then um, that is important information that can really help guide and advocate and help you negotiate for change effectively. Um, and so I find that to be uh, particularly useful. And I think, you know, there are some differences in how uh, we negotiate across gender. And one of the things that is most useful in, in particular for women, I would say, is to try to, to um, really use objective criteria um, when we are advocating uh, for, for whatever it is that we're advocating for others, for ourselves, for our organization. And you mentioned you also do external coaching. I'm kind of curious, how is your internal coaching and your external coaching different from each other? What are you, what are you finding? Well, I um, I had to scale down uh, during the pandemic for for obvious reasons because there's only enough hours of the day. They're actually quite similar, very similar themes. Um, I will say, um, 
you know, being a mother of twins and inactive in clinical medicine, uh, you know, I've had coaches that are very much focused on um, how to be able to spend more time at home and be a little bit more efficient uh, in the workplace. And that's been a, a, another interest uh, of mine. And I recognize that that doesn't work for everybody and that that may not necessarily be the the uh, all-encompassing pathway for everybody for the reasons we just discussed about some of the structural things. But it's also been very rewarding to see very tangible tangible um, results when we work on that. Um, so that's what I would say. All right. And this past year, obviously, the pandemic, as you mentioned, changed things. Um, what was it like coaching this past year in the pandemic? Did it change the type of, you mentioned the words, obviously, what you were seeing was different. Can you talk about what you're seeing uh, initially, and how it's evolving as we were kind of coming towards the other side? Yes. So uh, what I would say is it it really depends. I mean, there's certain, as you can imagine, um, coaching individuals who are truly in the front lines is a little bit different than those who were in more supportive roles or who had to flex their practice completely to more of a remote telemedicine but weren't in you know the ICUs and the in the in the medical floors and the emergency rooms so there were you know some of the themes that have come up are um the the demand the demand for our time fear especially in the early days in the pandemic um, where we knew a lot less uh, biologically about how the virus was transmitted. There was a lot of anxiety around, uh, you know, bringing this illness to the home, especially if there were some vulnerable members. Social isolation, um, not only uh, not only related to our so- traditional social circles, but just the 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 traditional ways that as physicians we we support each other in the workforce were also uh, significantly limited. Uh, several trainees remarked that um, you know they started a new academic year and they had very little in person contact with their new peers, and that was a big source of stress, as you can imagine. Um, you know, I think one of the most um, beautiful things about medical training, obviously, there's a lot of other things that are a little problematic, but one of the most beautiful things is that you are part of this sort of very close-knit community. And some of that, uh, you know, was obviously lost, uh, especially among people who didn't have those initial bonds, right? Because they're just starting. And, and, um, and then, of course, a little bit later in the fall, a lot of the stress is related to managing childcare. If your child is in hybrid or in fully remote school and both of the parents work and one of them is a physician and obviously can't be working exclusively remotely, how do you how do you make that occur just from a purely logistical standpoint, let alone all the other sort of concerns and worries uh, that you might have about uh, transmissibility and that sort of thing. But that that was a, a very important theme that that came across both men and women um, sort of really wondering how this what, what this was going to look like. And what do you see uh, more recently and what do you predict going forward now that we're coming to the other side of the pandemic? Um, more recently, I think people have reached a more of a steady state. Um, I think one of the lessons of the pandemic is um, even for even for people who were in the, are in the practice of medicine is um, that uh, you know a, a lot of us have realized that perhaps there's 
I think it has helped distill some of the some of the important areas of of life and work that we would like to preserve. Um, how you know we, we probably were all carrying a little extra that we needed to in terms of um, things that we previously perceived as truly necessary. And so I think a lot of um, physicians, in particular, um, who have uh, had some days where they've been able to work remotely, have also recognized that they're. That, that that in some level, if, if, your, if your job um, allows that, that flexibility has been highly valuable, uh, especially if, you know, you're, you have, you're, you're in a caregiving role in the family, uh, either with an older parent or with your children. And so I think there's a growing realization that rather than just going back to the old normal, say February of 2020, um, perhaps there are some silver linings that we should try to uh, include in the in the um, in the new normal that hasn't yet been fully defined, and so I would say that uh, a lot of people are really starting to think about what that is, um, and so I, I do think that um, that that is one of the hopeful signs that perhaps we can uh, also be a little bit more humane uh, in 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 how we structure things. Excellent. Um, so beforehand, you had made a comment, which was, never underestimate the power of asking, nor the power of curiosity. I wonder if you could speak to that a bit. Yeah, I'll start perhaps with curiosity. I think, um, uh, you know, I think it from the traditional model of medicine, physicians have, have always been, you know, especially in the cognitive specialties have, you know, our role has been to try to uncover and discover what's happening. And so I think many of us uh, feel quite comfortable in that space, uh, you know, in the clinical sense. But I think also in many levels, at many levels of just relating to others as human, being curious, being engaged uh, with our patients above and beyond, you know, their diabetes and their hypertension, but as individuals, with our colleagues, with our peers, with other members that we work for, is is a it's a it's sort of like a it's a superpower of connection. I would say it really is one of those, for lack of a better term, X factors that really help us relate and and know each other. And so I I, I want to just emphasize that because I think. Um, you know, especially in the digital age where, you know, a lot of people are making connections in social media that there's still a lot of power in the in the one on one conversations or in the small group discussions where um, you can really go a step further. And um, and we can all, you know, through curiosity and through listening, really um you know, take it to a deeper level that I think is more meaningful. And then, you know, what I mentioned, the power of asking is that I think fundamentally, many a times um, as as clinicians and as physicians and as humans, oftentimes we set our own limits and our own boundaries. You know, we have 20 different reasons why we shouldn't really think about um, applying for this uh, different, um, you know, administrative role or a different position or asking um, for a change in our days or hours. Um, and and oftentimes um, when through some other circumstance we are forced to, we we realize that if we had just done that 
five years earlier that perhaps there could have been a lot of grief saved, that asking is actually a very powerful tool. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily get what you ask, but um, and there, there are certain ways that one can prepare ahead of time to make that ask a little bit more likely to, to be responded in a positive, responded to in a positive way. But many times we don't even take that step. And so we, you know, we, we sort of lead these lives of quiet desperation where, where by not pushing the boundaries, we're, we're also not accessing, you know, the, the other side of the green, so to speak, by, by setting these artificial boundaries on ourselves and what we would like to, what we would like to uh, accomplish or, or achieve. Interesting. So as, as an infectious disease specialist for 20 years, who then went back, got training in executive coaching, who then went and got wellness coaching, who then got negotiating coaching, and now has been coaching others. How has all this affected how you practice or how you live? How has it affected you and your, not in terms of how you help your patients, but of how you help yourself? Have you used, have been, have you been learning these things and using them for your own purposes as well? Oh, for sure. And I would say it does help my patients too. You know, the the clinical visit is very different, you know, uh, from the traditional hierarchical model. I am the physician, you are the patient. You know, I think oftentimes, especially with initial patient visits, I would just say that I always try to make a point of saying, what are your goals for this meeting? You know, I may have my own internal agenda and sometimes the patient's goals may be completely different. And I think it's, it's it's highly valuable to you know to to make sure that that patient is walking away with in addition to whatever things i would like to accomplish during the visit or plan forward to to make sure that his or her goals are also met and so that has resulted in a lot of engagement so i would say it's been very helpful in that regard i think Anyone who has uh, children, teenagers, or spouses will um, benefit from some of these core principles uh, that we've, you know, some of which we've touched upon. There's a lot of negotiation that happens in every moment of our lives. Um, And so that's been extremely helpful. Um, And also just, um, you know, thinking about the land of possibilities. I think, um, you know, that sort of goes with the power of asking, in a sense, in that um, we break down, we break down the boundaries, you know, sometimes allowing ourselves to, to think if there were truly no barriers, what would I truly like, what would I truly like this to be like, uh, is very powerful, rather than saying, well, I know, why should I even bother to think about what, um, what, what this part of my job or my life would look like, I, I you know, it's, it's probably going to be shut down. And so you, you never allow yourself to even go that extra step to start to start pushing that boundary and crafting things. So uh, we're approaching uh, close to the half hour mark. I wanted to, before we leave, just want to give you a chance to uh, share any closing thoughts or reflections you might wish to share. Uh, well, thank you, Michael. This has been, a, a, you know, it's been wonderful to reconnect with you and to connect with your listeners. I would, I would say, in general, despite all of the structural barriers that we might sometimes have institutionally and in medicine, we still have more agency that we think in some aspects. Um, we can still broaden our boundaries. Uh, and, you know, as Nelson Mandela said, it is only impossible before it is done. And there's still a lot to be done, and it's still a privilege to be a part of this profession. Great. What a wonderful way to end. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you, Michael, and thank all of you for listening. Well, that's our show for today. I want to thank Dr. Rocio Hurtado for joining us today and for sharing both her insights and personal stories. To learn more about Rocio, you can visit the website www.mdcatalyst.com or visit her at rh at mdcatalyst.com. If you wish to learn more about the coalition, please visit our website at www.forphysicianwellbeing.org. You can also check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. I also want to thank our volunteers and the staff from the coalition who made this podcast possible. Finally, I'd like to thank ACESIS, A-C-E-S-I-S, Incorporated, for sponsoring my time working on this podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and his guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing, its board, or other members of the coalition. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Brown, wishing our caregivers out there meaning, purpose, and joy in the practice of medicine. Together we are stronger. Until next time.